You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. And gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So continuing on with the can you guess the movie theme, I've decided to go with, I guess we can call it movies from my childhood, or just call it 80s movies, however you want to, whatever you want to call it. But um, getting a little bit, little bit tricky. Kind of wish I was playing this game, to be honest, because I know I would recognize that, but I don't know if I'd be able to figure out where that came from. And it would drive me nuts all day long. And I'd be Googling, he made it. And obviously that's not going to do anything. Maybe, well, I'm not going to give you any thoughts, but... Anyways, I did have somebody reach out and tell me they knew what uh, yesterday's movie was. Man, I'll tell you what, pivoting here, fandom is a crazy thing. And it's funny when you get outside of... You know, as a Packer fan, we kind of understand Packer fans, and we've come to understand Vikings, Lions, and Bears fans a little bit. But man, doing my YouTube channel, which is part Packers and part NFL Draft, the NFL Draft thing is crazy because you start coming across and making angry other fans. And it's so weird to hear their perspectives. I'm, I mean, the things that I get chewed out for just make me like... Are you serious? I mean, I'm even a little bit surprised. There, there's a Lions fan that just every single video I come out with, he's got a comment because he's mad that I made fun of the Lions, despite the fact that his avatar is a lion with a bag over his head, which is surprising because most Lions fans I've met kind of just understand like, yeah, we're terrible, but, you know, I'm still a fan and, uh, you know, go Lions or whatever. It's like, yeah, that's cool. But man, now I'm getting chewed out for saying the the Redskins, or excuse me, the the whatever they're called team is not good anymore. The footballs. I mean, I I like it a little bit. I like that people stand up for their team. They should stand up for their team. But try to have a little bit of, I don't know, a dose of reality. It, it seems, I don't know. I, I, I guess I can't decide if I like it or despise it. You should stand up for your team, but but try to do it, I guess, in a way that doesn't make you seem like a crazy person? Does that make sense? I suppose a lot of you guys have, have come across that because you don't actually live in Wisconsin. Got a big listener base out in California, although I don't know that California, my perception of it anyways, based on what we know about Los Angeles, is that Californians don't super care about football. As a giant collective, obviously there's 60 billion people there. A lot of people do care, but it's not like front and center at the forefront of everybody's mind like it is here in Wisconsin. But... Um, I mean, again, I grew up in Illinois, so it was it was obviously very hostile, but they were still kind of cool, right? It was a lot of just, like, joking back and forth, and, you know, you stink, no, you stink, ah, ha, ha, ha. And they knew. They knew the Bears were bad. Just, there's such a, uh, and maybe it's just the crazy ones that comment, and everyone else is just kind of like, yeah, I know. But uh, California is a big group of listeners. I got Illinois and Minnesota, so obviously they understand Virginia is the next biggest, which is really strange. Iowa, Florida. Florida, I kind of think of like California, although I think Florida's a big football state. You have three teams that really people just don't care about. I'm mean, going to know the Dolphins have a history, at least a little bit of a history, of being a good football team, even if it's just a blip. But at this point in time in 2020, 
Is there a, a big Dolphins or Jaguars or Buccaneers? I don't know. Anyways, I find it funny. But on that note, um, being that we do have a decent-sized listener base, um, I've decided I'm going to upset a lot of fans today. Not necessarily Packer fans, but everybody else, because what I want to start doing as we get closer to the season, and since we are just... We have been out of news for, what, four months now? <laughs> I want to start looking forward into the 2021 season. And I'm not sure if I'm going to do this every day, because every time I do a themed thing, it really gets kind of tiresome. And everyone, including myself, gets burned out. But at least for today and probably the next couple days, I want to start looking at week by week the, the upcoming Green Bay Packers opponents. Now that we are close to the season, we've got a pretty good idea of what the team looks like and not looks like. We're after the opt-out period. I mean, not officially out. There's still some people that can get out uh, based on if you have someone in your home with a high-risk situation, they still can. But for the most part, probably not much is going to change. And if it does, obviously, I will update everybody on that. But for that reason, I'm going to do my best to try to uh, represent honestly the situation with the Minnesota Vikings. Kind of look at some of the changes so that we know uh, what's different between last year and this year. And then just kind of give an overall view of Packers vs. Vikings. And that is what is on the agenda for today. As always, be sure to check out the YouTube channel. Be sure to get in the Facebook group. Make sure you like the Facebook page. Links to all those things are in the description. At least they should be. Um, If they're not, I don't know, message me if you want to find it. Or don't, that's fine. Five-star iTunes review is always appreciated. Otherwise, I do want to give a special shout-out to uh, Brian. Brian messaged me and basically said he's tired of uh, paying his Patreon bill. And wants to just pay up front for the year, which is something I've said kind of as a joke in the past. You know, like, you can pay a buck a month or just $12 and pay up for the year. I mean, it's, it's kind of a joke, but it's it's a thing. Well, he actually did it. And nobody tell Brian, but he basically paid up for like two years. Because, you know, I don't want to have this uncomfortable, I don't give refunds conversation, you know. It just gets awkward. <laughs> but in all seriousness, I just want to take a minute to say thank you to Brian. It's just, it's just one of those things, I just, I don't get it, you know, I mean, I, I've started supporting other people that are, you know, in the football space, just because I've gotten so much, if I see somebody that's doing something that I want to support, I've started doing that, just to kind of give back, um, because the support for this show has been just, it's just absurd, I mean, as I've said before, per executive producer JJ, the amount of listeners I have, in the amount of support I have on Patreon, the ratio is unheard of. So the support for the show is out of control, and um, I really appreciate everybody that is involved. I know I say it all the time, i got to get more going on in Patreon. In fact, I've got several options in here that I can do. I really should do some kind of a live stream thing. There's so many... I've got... How many patrons do I have now? 119 patrons. There's more than enough to be doing some kind of a live stream kind of thing. Um, I don't know of what. I know one of the things I want to do is like a behind the scenes, maybe like do a video of me doing the podcast. I don't you know, if anybody's interested in that. Otherwise, some kind of a conversational, like a, maybe like a weekly meetup or something. I don't know, something. If you're a patron, let me know what you think would be cool in Patreon. I got to start doing something. Because um, again, just the support is, I, I don't understand it. I appreciate it, but I, why? <laughs> why are you doing this for me? You're too kind. I'm not deserving of it, so all I can really do is say thank you. Anyways, enough sappy nonsense. Let's take a break and uh, talk about the evil empire, the Minnesota Vikings.
Hey, U.S. Cellular customers, I've got good news, so don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's Us Days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't just misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like you. Us Days at U.S. Cellular, exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Terms apply. So I guess we should start in 2019, look at the team as they were, and then see more or less what has changed. So the Vikings in 2019 were 10-6. They did uh, get into the playoffs with that record. They did what Vikings do, which is do just enough to get into the playoffs so that you can spoil it for the New Orleans Saints and then immediately get out. So, you know, again, thank you for that. Although it would have been better had they found a way to beat the 49ers so that we could beat the Vikings and go to the Super Bowl. But, you know, I think we can make peace with the fact that this team wasn't quite good enough anyways. So probably slightly less of a heartbreak losing the NFC Championship than the Super Bowl. That's that's how I'm going to get out of this. Obviously, the uh, Minnesota Vikings had a bit of a hard time against the Green Bay Packers. But one of the more interesting things, I think, about the Vikings is how much they imploded at the end of the season. And I really wish I had an answer for why that happened. And we're going to look at injuries next, so, you know, obviously that's the first thing you think of. Well, everybody got beat up real bad. But to start the season, the Vikings were 8-3 and three prior to their bye. The only three losses they had were the, the Packers, the Bears, and the Chiefs. So you've got divisional opponents, so, you know, goofy stuff always happens. And then you got a very good team in the Kansas City Chiefs. Granted, it was Matt Moore and not, uh, not Pat Mahomes, but still. There's three relatively understandable, explainable losses. After that game, they come out of their bye week, they lose to the Seattle Seahawks, with their defense giving up 37 points to the Seahawks. Right out of the bye. You're all rested up, you're ready to go. The most you've given up all year is 30 points to the Detroit Lions, and you scored 42 in that game. Otherwise, outside of that one game, you've given up 12, 21, 14, 16, 10, 20, uh, 9, 26, 24, 23. Then right out of your bye week, you give up 37 points. Then they play the Detroit Lions and they win. Then they beat the Chargers. And then they play the Packers and Bears and lose again. So they went 2-0 against Detroit, but they were 0-4 against the Packers and Bears. And, they, and, 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 and the <laughs> the 8-3 team prior to their bye goes 2-3 uh, after the bye. So clearly not the same team anymore. Now, on the flip side, and this is something else to keep in mind, we can look at it and say this is a, a very good team that won eight games and lost three explainable games. What about the other perspective? What are the teams they beat? The Falcons are terrible. The Raiders are terrible. The Giants are terrible. The Eagles, although they did beat the Packers, are not a very good football team. At least they weren't last year. The Lions are terrible. The Redskins are terrible. The Cowboys win 8-8. Eight and eight. They were not good. And the Broncos are not good. There's not one team on this entire list that they beat prior to their bye week, that was any good. In fact, I think the only team that they that the, that they beat prior to the playoffs, obviously, that went to the playoffs was the Eagles, and the Eagles basically went by default because everyone else in their division was garbage. The, the Eagles were nine and seven. I think the nine and seven Eagles are the best team they beat all year. And again, they went zero and four against the Packers and Bears. They lost to the Seahawks, and again, the Seahawks weren't really that great last year. They had a lot of issues. 
you saw how easily the Packers beat up on the Seahawks. They've got some serious talent, and they've got the quarterback and the wide receivers and some stuff to really do some damage if, the, if you let them. But a, a talented team should be able to keep that in check. And so when you look at legitimate playoff teams, which there weren't many, there's the Packers, there's the Seahawks, and there's the Kansas City Chiefs, the uh, Vikings lost to them. They also lost twice to the Bears, which is kind of just unexplainable. The one real big win they had all year was against the New Orleans Saints. That was an overtime victory. Not to detract from it, oh, victory's a victory. And the Saints are one of the best teams in football. But, I mean, it, it just is what it is. And you can say similar things about the Green Bay Packers, but what did the Green Bay Packers do with an easy schedule? They won 13 games. And they also beat the Vikings twice. So if we're going to play that game, that's fine. But clearly the Packers managed an easy schedule better than the Vikings did. Now, there is the issue of injuries, which the Packers were very, very fortunate in one of the most rare instances of all time. Although, and I've talked about this before, the Packers are one of the least injured teams in all of football. Because we always hear about how the Packers, you know, their training staff is garbage and they need to fire everybody because the Packers always have the most injuries of anybody. And I looked at the stats. They're one of the least injured teams over the last, I don't know what it was, five, ten years or something. It's just one of those things fans do because they, they don't see the full picture. They just see the Green Bay Packers and assume that everybody else is fine, and that's absolutely not the truth. But the Vikings did have some injuries to deal with, but it doesn't appear to be all that bad. Chad Beebe was on IR most of the year. He's a mostly irrelevant player. I just like him because he's Don Beebe's kid. Uh, Tashawn Bauer was on IR half the year. Ade Aruna missed three years on, or three years, missed three days on IR. Josh Doxson, Ben Gideon, Brett Jones, David Morgan, Isaiah Wharton. These aren't any of them big name guys. Mackenzie Alexander did miss several games. That's somewhat impactful, mostly because they, none of their corners are very good. Dalvin Cook missed two games. Um, those were against the Packers and the Bears. Which, again, if we want to say, well, yeah, we didn't have Dalvin Cook in those games. Okay, but you just lost to the Packers and the Bears before. So to say that if we had had Dalvin, we would have won, <laughs> there's there's only two games on the entire schedule that you can't say that for, and it just happens to be the two games you lost. You can't say if we had Dalvin back, we would have won, because you lost to both of those teams with Dalvin. Uh, Linval missed two games. He was out against Dallas and Denver. They won both of those games, so that's not an excuse. Sandejo missed one. Adam Thielen is is the only kind of big impactful guy. He was out with a hamstring injury, but he was out against uh, Washington. He came back against Kansas. Man, the lack of excuses you guys have. He, he comes back against Kansas, then he goes out again against Dallas and Denver. So the, the one game you, you lost in that stretch, he came back for. Then he goes out again. Then he comes back against Seattle. You lose that game, and then he's doubtful. I don't know if he played or not, but he was doubtful against Detroit. There, there just isn't a lot here that says, oh, yeah, that's right, they lost these three key pieces down this stretch, which happens to be the stretch in which they lost. No. It was a lot of guys that weren't very good players, a lot of onesie-twosies, and there was no real big impactful player out during times at which you lost games. The only example of that is Dalvin Cook. And again, Dalvin Cook was out against the Packers and Bears, who you already lost to earlier in the season, so that's not a very good excuse. Especially against the Green Bay Packers, because the score in that game was 23-10. to And if you bothered to even watch that game, you know that it was never close at any point in time. That was just an absolute spanking from the time the, the, of the kickoff. The Bears game was a little bit close if you want to play that game, but it doesn't really matter. It doesn't change the dynamic of this if you say, well, we would have won by three against the Bears. 
Okay, then you're 11 wins against the same garbage schedule, and you already lost to the Bears once, and you didn't really beat any meaningful teams until you beat the Saints. So I, I, I guess the point is it's somewhat of a deceptively good team, or I guess the better way to say it would be a deceptively bad team. And even that isn't necessarily fair. I mean, the, as I've said before, the only thing you can do is win. I suppose you could blow teams out, but the same with the Packers. It doesn't make sense to say a team is bad because they beat bad teams. What else can you do to a bad team other than beat it? So I guess they're, they, they get some credit for that. But again, you're only 10-6. and six. You barely got into the playoffs. And, and for the most part, unless we include the Philadelphia Eagles, which in a different division, they don't make the playoffs, these are all bad teams you beat. So got to pick up the pace a little bit here. Let's fast forward a little bit. So that was the Minnesota Vikings in 2019. Relatively healthy, really easy schedule, beat up on some bad teams, lost to everybody else. Uh, in the draft, actually, let's start with players lost because that'll help explain the draft a little bit. They lost a lot of players um, and somewhat key players. They lost Mackenzie Alexander, who I talked about is, is the one corner that I somewhat respect. Um, they lost Kentrell Brothers, who was just a backup, but you know, whatever. A, a big one was losing Stefan Digg. Everson Griffin is a big loss. Linval Joseph is a massive loss. And that's two guys along that defensive line. Uh, they lost J. Ron Curse. Obviously, they have so much talent at safety, you can afford to lose some, but you went from having four talented safeties down to two. J. Ron Curse is one of them. He's probably fourth on that list. Josh Klein at guard, they lost. David Morgan, Xavier Rhodes, the cornerback. Andrew Sandejo, the other safety. He's getting up in age, so it kind of makes sense, but he's another talented guy. Not elite, but he's 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 good enough. Uh, Marcus Sherrills is another cornerback. Laquan Treadwell, the wide receiver. Obviously, there's not uh, not a lot of respect for him. But again, it, it it also attacks your depth a bit. They lost Trey Waynes, who is another cornerback. So Mackenzie Alexander, Xavier Rose, and Trey Waynes. And, and understand, this is a team that did not have good corners to begin with. Trey Waynes was a massive disappointment. Xavier Rhodes was a massive disappointment. And they lost Trey Waynes, uh, Marcus... Yeah, Marcus Sherrills, Xavier Rhodes, and Mackenzie Alexander. All cornerbacks. And then finally, Stefan Weatherly, another defensive end pass rusher, kind of a, a depth issue. But when you lose a guy like Everson Griffin, Stefan Weatherly, Stephen Weatherly, however you say it, it's, it should be Stefan, but sometimes the PH is a V. I think it's Stefan. He doesn't play very much, so I don't hear his name like in broadcasts and stuff, but we'll just call him Weatherly. So those, those are big losses, especially defensively. Right, Stephon Diggs is a, is a massive loss offensively, and I think Klein was a young guy along the interior offensive line. I think. I shouldn't say that if I don't know. Nope, he's 30. Never mind. I must be thinking of somebody else. But those were the departures. And then the Vikings are kind of like, they, they tend to be very Ted Thompson-esque in terms of really prioritizing keeping your own guy. So they re-signed Amir Abdullah, the running back, which doesn't mean anything. They re-signed Dan Bailey, who obviously is a longtime Dallas Cowboy, but they finally got a good kicker. They want to keep him. I can respect that. Uh, Colquitt, the punter they kept. Kirk Cousins, they extended. Dakota Dozier, the backup tackle, um, they signed to a one-year deal. C.J. Ham, their fullback. Anthony Harris, that was a really big one. It's only a one-year deal, but it was $11 million. He's a very good football player. Uh, Rashad Hill and Brett Jones, interior offensive linemen, backup guys. All one-year deals. Sean Mannion, the backup quarterback, out a one-year deal. Eric Wilson, backup linebacker. The only real additions they had outside of their own team. Michael Pierce was a really big signing. He just opted out. So, I mean, Michael Pierce was massive. He's a really talented guy. He fills a need that was just lost in free agency. So now it's just lost because he's gone. They since tried to get P.J. Uh, Hill, P.J. Hall. 
I don't know, the the Oakland Raiders guy that kind of showed some promise in his rookie year, and then, you know, he's just kind of stayed at that better than expected, but still not very good range. But he failed his physical, so that fell through. That didn't work out. That's going to be important moving forward when we look at the, the upcoming matchup, because they have since not found a replacement to fill that defensive line spot, and they also have not replaced their pass rusher, at least not until we get to the draft, and then even then it's questionable, obviously, because it's the draft. They did add Anthony Zettel, uh, defensive end out of the, with the 49ers, not a very talented guy, but it's a piece, it's something. And then they added Tajay Sharp, who I think is, is maybe a, a slightly underrated piece from the Tennessee Titans. He only got one year, one million. He's not an elite guy, but we're talking about Tajay being sort of the number three. I think is a number three guy, depending on how good Justin Jefferson, which we'll get to in a second, but that's the wide receiver they added in the draft. Depending on how good Justin Jefferson is, you, you've potentially got a pretty solid trio at wide receiver. So that is what essentially changed just in free agency. Guys lost, guys added, clearly lost a lot more than they added. This is basically a consequence of the way that they handle their salary cap. They have spent so much money overpaying their own guys that when it comes time to re-sign the Linval Josephs or the, you know, and maybe you wouldn't have kept them anyways based on their age, but, you know, point is there's no money anyways so you kind of have to move on um you end up losing more than you than you gain and and technically the Packers are in that spot too right they went crazy in 2019 spent a bunch of money didn't have a ton of money this year let some of the older guys go replace them with lower cost guys that aren't quite as good you know Wagner isn't Balaga you know it is what it is um moving on to the draft the first pick and this is the pick that they got from the Buffalo Bills in the Stephon Diggs trade. They used that to get themselves a new wide receiver. So for that reason, you can kind of respect it. You took, you you literally traded Stephon Diggs for Justin Jefferson. I guess I shouldn't say literally, but it's it's pretty close. It's a little bit indirect, but it's there. Then with their second uh, first round pick, they picked Jeff Gladney, cornerback out of Texas Christian. I think cornerback was their biggest need. It was probably one of their biggest needs even before they lost three corners just because how lacking in talent their starters were. And then they lost all their starters. So not only do they not have talent, they don't have starters anymore. So their really bad backups are now starters. That's a problem. Even after drafting a guy, it's a problem. Now, as we'll see, they went out and drafted a ton of corners because you need a bunch because you have zero. Obviously, Vikings fans will disagree and talk about guys like Mike Hughes, who have never really taken any kind of initiative at becoming a starter, which is the reason he has not become a starter. And by the way, as bad as the Packers have been at drafting corners and whatnot, I think the Vikings have been worse. Um, I think two of the four guys, maybe three of the four guys, were first-round picks that never materialized. Trey Waynes was a a, a relatively early first-round pick that never did anything. He might have had a year mixed in there somewhere where he was pretty competent. Uh, Xavier Rhodes was a first-round pick. Obviously, you know, despite whatever accolades he had at some point in his career, he was never a problem for the Green Bay Packers. And then Mackenzie Alexander was a second-round pick. So two first-round picks and a second-round pick have left, and they went ahead and drafted another first-round corner. Hopefully that pans out just about as well. Um, In the second round, they picked up Ezra Cleveland. Ezra Cleveland is an offensive tackle out of Boise State. A lot of Green Bay Packers fans wanted Ezra. I was not a fan of his at all, so um, I was not super upset by it. A little bit of a strange situation as they have two starting tackles already. More than likely, this is going to be a Riley Reef replacement. Riley Reef is their current left tackle. They could technically move on from Riley this year if they wanted to. I would doubt they do. 
But uh, Reef is already 32 years old. All of his guarantees have been burned up since since last year. So there's only 4.4 million dollars uh, left in his signing bonus from when he signed his original contract, 2.2 million per year in the last two years of his contract. So they can move on from Riley whenever they want. There have been some rumors that Ezra might play guard this year. Their guards are not very good. I mean, the interior in general, Garrett Bradbury, they just drafted, so they're hoping he can become better. He's their center. But um, there's some talk Ezra might play guard. I really just doubt it. I mean, he's just such a tall, lanky guy. He's, He's a tackle through and through. It would be like us putting Jason Spriggs back in the day at guard and being like, well, he's not playing tackle this year. Let's try him at guard. It just, it's like, wh- how, why would you think that would work? Um, there has since been from people inside of, you know, whatever saying that that's not the projected offensive line Ezra Cleveland at guard, but they are going to at least try it and see what he can do. But I, I, I think it's pretty obvious long-term he is expected to be the Riley Reef replacement. Um, and then in the third round, they went Cam Dantzler, who is a cornerback out of Mississippi State. So they're going another corner. In the fourth round, and they're, I mean, they're just going all for needs here. They went DJ Wonham, uh, defensive end of South Carolina. That's to help replace um, Everson Griffin, who they lost. Then they went James Lynch, defensive tackle. Obviously, they need a defensive tackle. Then they went Troy Dye, linebacker out of Oregon. I just did my Minnesota Vikings mock, and I had them taking a linebacker kind of for similar reasons. Now, obviously, you could say it's not necessarily because they just took Troy Dye. But I, I do think that the guys that they have, first of all, are overrated. You know, obviously Kendricks. Kendricks and Barr have a really good name. I think Barr is ridiculously overrated. He's never really been a good inside linebacker. Kendricks had a fantastic year. But either way, they're both getting kind of up in age, and you got to start looking at number one depth and number two who's going to take over in the future when these guys start to leave and we can't afford to pay a billion dollars to two mediocre linebackers. So Troy Dye, I think, was a smart pick, but maybe not necessarily an immediate star, although he could be. If they're playing three linebackers, who's the number three? Then in the fifth round, they went Harrison Hand, who's also a cornerback. So that's their third cornerback in in eight picks. Then K.J. Osborne, wide receiver. Now we're getting to the sixth round, so it doesn't matter. But they went tackle, safety, another defensive end. Quarterback Nate Stanley in the seventh round. Safety Brian Cole, their second safety. And again, they lost uh, two safeties, I think, also this year. Pretty decimated uh, at, at defensive back, which is which is important. You think they lost all their starting corners. They lost, I think, two safeties, J. Ron Kurse and Andrew Sandejo. They still have their starters, but but the two guys behind them who are talented are gone. And your DB coach is now a Green Bay Packer. I mean, you got to expect a good amount of... I mean, this... I don't want to jump into uh, overviews yet, but... I mean, is this the worst cornerback group in football right now? I mean, the highest-graded corner via PFF that you currently have, not assuming anything about new addition, and somebody that's actually played a snap, is Holton Hill, who graded out at a 63.7. He was average. He played 168 snaps last year. The only guy that played significant snaps was Mike Hughes, who Vikings fans like and believe that he can be solid because he was an early-round pick, despite the fact that all of your corners are early-round picks, and they're all kind of terrible. But Mike Hughes, his overall grade was a 58.7, so below average. Not the worst thing we've seen in the world. The Packers have had much worse corners in our in our day. I, I remember the days when the Packers' corners, every single one of them, was graded outside of the top 100. It was brutal. But, you know, it was brutal. And that's my point. Mark Fields, great. He only played six snaps, but 36.5. Nate, Nate Meters, 11 snaps, 45.4 overall grade. Otherwise, we have Cam Dantzler, who didn't play, this, play a snap. Brian Cole, Harrison Hand... Marcus Sales, Neville Clark, uh, Jeff Gladney, who we just drafted. 
I mean, even if Jeff Gladney's awesome, your corners still suck. That's, I mean, it's a brutal situation, man. And now your pass rush is less. You've got one guy that can that can. I might just have to jump into overview. I think I think we are because it's it, I, your coaches have a real tough situation here, and I, I don't want to understate how threatening your offense can be, but I I feel like at the end of the day, and maybe this is just me. But I don't think this has really changed as much as it feels like it's changed. I think the trenches are incredibly important. Obviously, there's been a big shift in terms of the importance of corners, but clearly you're not. You're, that's not going to help you, right? The, the the Patriots prioritize your defensive backs, especially corners, and they do great. You don't have that either. But, you know, when I'm looking at a team, let, let's do best case scenario here. Let's just do absolute best case scenario. Kirk Cousins replicates what he did last year, which was possibly probably the best year of his career. Dalvin Cook is, is healthy all year long. Kyle Rudolph, or let's just say Irv Smith takes a step and is, is now a decent tight end. Justin Jefferson is as good as Stephon Diggs. And uh, Bradbury takes a step and is a good center. I think that's that's absolute best case scenario. There's no reason to believe any of those things are true. Because basically they're all at best coin flips. But probably less than because Dalvin Cook has never been healthy, so it's less than 50%. Kirk Cousins has only done what he did last year once, so that's less than 50%. A rookie being as good as Stephon Diggs, clearly less than 50%. But let's just say they're all they're all going to happen. What does that mean? It means your offense is literally the exact same as it was last year when you won 10 games. The only difference, the only improvement is Irv Smith, which Kyle Rudolph actually played fairly well. He graded out as the 17th best tight end in football. So even if Irv Smith becomes the 17th best tight end in football, guess what? You didn't really get any better. Thielen is still Thielen. Jefferson is now taking over for Diggs. Cook was there most of the year last year anyway, so you keep him. Cousins is still Cousins. So you're not better. You also lost your offensive coordinator, although, you know, Vikings fans will tell you that the offensive coordinator was more or less a puppet for the guy that's now taking over as the offensive coordinator, Gary Kubiak. But the offense, best case scenario for the offense is that they're not worse. It, it really is. So you got that going for you. And, and unfortunately, let's let's look specifically at Green Bay Packers defense versus Vikings offense. The Green Bay Packers defense decimated the Minnesota Vikings. And I think the biggest reason for that is the Green Bay Packers defense largely came down to how good is your offensive line. If you don't have an offensive line, we just destroyed, we just wrecked your world. If you do, 49ers, Eagles, Chargers, well, Chargers don't have a good offensive line, but they it was their defensive line that just decimated us. But, okay, Eagles and 49ers. Then we struggled. right? If we can't get our, our pass rush, which was just absolutely crazy, then we struggled. But if we can feast on a terrible offensive line, you're in trouble. Guess what? That didn't really change very much. Who's who's the giant upgrade here that's going to stop Zadarius and Kenny Clark and Preston and Rashawn and whoever else decides to be good at football this year? Nobody. There's no difference. You had Dalvin Cook last time. You had Kirk Cousins last time. It's the same offensive line. Nothing changes. So the biggest change for the Vikings is that the defense got a lot worse. The starting cornerback for the Minnesota Vikings last year were Xavier Rhodes, Trey Waynes, and Mackenzie Alexander. All of them are gone. Every single one of them. And so we can talk about how the Packers didn't really add anything as far as weapons, and that's unfortunate, especially on the outside. We can look at DeGuara and possibly Jace taking a step, but that's that's not a cornerback issue necessarily, depending on Jace splitting out or whatever, which he will, which, you know, whatever. But let's let's just try to keep it as minimally bad as possible. We're still trying to do best-case scenario. You lost all, and none of them were that good anyways. 
Xavier Rhodes was your best shot at stopping Devontae Adams. He was terrible, and now he's gone. And so what, rookie Jeff Gladney is going to be manned up against against Devontae? Or are you going to put, you're not going to put Mike Hughes on. I mean, you could try, but Mike Hughes is, as far as I can tell, he's going to be in the slot most of the time. Or are you going to roll with Holton Hill, your 2018 undrafted free agent? Who's the guy that's going to man up Devontae? We can talk about a lack of weapons all you want. I don't know who's going to stop Alan Lazard either. Who is it? I mean, are you just going to keep your safeties down by the line of scrimmage and just, you know, we're going to double up Devontae and hope we get lucky with everybody else? The problem with that is, if you had a really scary pass rush, that might work, right? Take away the quick stuff. Bring the safeties down. Double up Devontae. Keep Harrison down close to the line of scrimmage. Excuse me, Harris. Get Harrison, Harrison confused. Either way, I think they both can do it. Just just press up against guys so that they can't take the deep stuff because then we have time to get our pass rush there. Now, you still have Daniil Hunter, who's a scary guy, no question about it. One of the better pass rushers in football, I think similar to Zadarius and some of the other guys, he's an underrated pass rusher. But this is now a terrible defensive front. It's, it's really bad. Your defensive line is one of the worst in football right now. I don't know exactly who's doing what, but Hercules Mata'afa is one of your starting defensive linemen. He's six two, 254 pounds. His overall grade last year was a 49.3. His only real asset is that he's really quick. I don't know why they bothered to put him inside. That's what he did in college, but I never understood that. How is that going to work in the pros? Well, he's so fast, he's just going to launch off and, and go between guys. Why, why can't you do that with everybody? I mean, just take anybody that's fast. Take a linebacker, make him a defensive lineman, and just hope he can run past guys before they get out of their stance. It's not going to work. And so his pass rush was terrible. His run defense, obviously, is a joke because he's 250 pounds! I, I never understood the Mata'afa thing. I mean, he was great to watch in college. He was a lot of fun to watch, but why would that ever work in the pros? It's not. He's not a defensive tackle. Then you got Jaleel Johnson, who's been terrible for two years. He was a fourth-round pick out of Iowa. I mean, I, I'm not kidding. This this is one of the worst defensive... I mean, I, 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 it's hard to say defensive line, because that includes the edge guys, and Daniil Hunter is really scary. But, I mean, if you remove J- D- Daniil from the equation, it's it's an abysmal, abysmal abysmal group of guys. Just putrid. I mean, okay, so if we look best case scenario, they're about as good. However, their ability to cover and their ability to stop the run and the ability to rush the passer is a lot worse. And we're talking about a team that last year barely beat up on really garbage teams and lost to anybody with any ability whatsoever. How does this team that got significantly worse beat the Bears? Because the Bears got better. They didn't get significantly better, but at the very least, they got a better quarterback. And they still have this dominant defense that's going to just wreck your offensive line. If you couldn't beat them last year, when the Bears were worse and you were better, how are you going to beat the Bears this year? How are you going to beat the Packers this year? And so as I'm looking at the schedule, you're you're playing the Packers. I don't know how you beat them. I mean, of course it's possible. It's week one. It's a divisional game. Anything can happen. But the Packers are a better team. The Packers, and a lot of Packer fans are upset because we didn't get a lot better. But we didn't get worse. Maybe at right tackle, but we've got a very good veteran tackle that's going to be there. He's better than any tackle you have. Got a better offensive line. We got a better quarterback. I mean, just across the board. And again, we, the defense, I mean, Rashawn's going into a second year. Zadarius is going into a second year. Preston's going into a second year. Uh, Amos is going into his second year. We're talking about with this system. You got Savage going into his second year. I just... How? How are you going to be better than the Packers? You're not. And then you got the Indianapolis Colts, who are a very good team, and that's on the road. They're massively underrated. But, oh my good, do you, listen to me. Jonathan Taylor is going to run for 250 yards against the Vikings. 
This is one of the best offensive lines in all of football, the Indianapolis Colts. They just drafted Jonathan Taylor out of Wisconsin. They added Phillip Rivers as their quarterback over Jacoby Brissett. That is a massive upgrade. They've improved their wide receivers, not only because they went out in the, in the draft and got a wide receiver, but also, take it, take it, I'm on a roll here, take it easy. Not only that, they get their guys back. Pascal was their number one wide receiver for a long time because T.Y. Hill and or uh, T.Y. Hilton and, and their other guy, I forget his name, were both out injured. So they get their wide receivers back. They added a wide receiver. They they have one of the better offensive lines in football. They massively upgraded their quarterback. They have a solid defense, kind of across the board. There's no way the Vikings beat the Colts in week two. Then they play the Titans. Guess what? Great offensive line. One of the best running backs in football. Good night, Vikings. I mean, I'm I'm not kidding. This is this is 0-3 territory. Then they play the Texans. At Houston. Now, they got a chance, but this is a playoff team. Elite quarterback. Although they lost their number one, they added three competent wide receivers, so now they can spread the ball out. And guess what? You don't have any corners! They have a terrible offensive line and no real run game, but what what benefit is that to you? I mean, at, at best, it's a shootout, and your offense just obliterates the Texans' defense. That's the best shot you've got. Unfortunately, J.J. Watt is there to absolutely wreck your offensive line. Then you play the Seattle Seahawks. I've been talking a lot about how they keep getting worse. Guess what? They added um, Jamal Adams, best safety in football, and they get Quentin Dunbar back. They just said he can play very, very good corner. So that defense is kind of getting a little bit better. I don't know that they beat the Seahawks. This is five games that I'm looking at that I don't know. I don't see them getting more than two wins in this stretch, and 0-5 is not impossible. Now, maybe they they pull off some stuff. I mean, if if they win in this stretch, this is a tough stretch. If they're three wins, four wins massive props but i just this is this is brutal then you get the falcons that should be a win then you get a buy oh my goodness gasp for air then you come out of the buy you play the packers best of luck then you play the lions i don't know that you beat the lions i really don't i mean again just look at the corners by itself matt stafford who by the way missed almost the entire year last year matt stafford is back and he's got really good wide receiver. Who in the world is going to stop Kenny Galladay? Who in the world is going to stop TJ Hawkinson and Amendola and Jones? And they, you know, added the, the kid out of Wisconsin. Then you got the Bears. Again, I don't know how you beat the Bears. Then you got the Cowboys, who I think are just going to absolutely rock your world. Then you got the Panthers. You should be able to beat the Panthers. And the Jaguars should be easy. Buccaneers, I don't know that you beat the Bucks. We're talking about still one of the best wide receiver duos in football with Tom Brady throwing to him. I know I've been trashing him a little bit. But I'm, I'm just saying, I don't know that they should be automatic Super Bowl contenders. They're still going to be a scary team. Then you got the Bears. That I, I don't... Then you got the Saints, who I know you, you've had some history with. Then you got the Lions again. I, I just... I mean, and, and who knows? We, we all thought that last year's schedule was going to be a really tough schedule. Turns out a lot of these teams are terrible. For all we know, the Titans and the Colts and the Texans all regress. The Seahawks are garbage. We, we don't know what's actually going to happen. But if all the projections are about right, I don't know that the Vikings make it to the playoffs. And largely that has to do with their defense. I don't know what you do with that. You've got two really good safeties and nothing. If I'm right about Kendrick's regressing, which is almost a guarantee at this point, and I'm not even saying terrible, but just he he goes back from being one of the best in football to he's pretty good, and Anthony Barr continues to be terrible, and you still have one of the worst defensive lines in football, and your corners are just AWOL. You don't have any. I don't even know. I mean, we know kind of who they're going to be, but I, I don't have any expectation they're going to be any good. I mean, week one, you're gonna take your, you're gonna take Jeff Gladney and put him up against Devontae. He's gonna get obliterated, but it's still probably your best shot. I just, this is brutal, man. And you see him taking desperate swings to fix this defensive line. 
I mean, Daniil is solid, and you've got some good safeties, but I just, I don't know, man. I don't know that the Vikings are are number two in the division. I, I think this is number three, and, and, and depending on how competent the Detroit Lions can be with their roster, if they can massively improve, if they can get better, the Vikings might be in for some serious, serious problems. There, there's a lot of variables here. How good are the Bears going to be? Are they going to continue to regress, or are they going to have a bounce-back year? Because it's a second year with this defensive coordinator, and we've added a new quarterback. They could be a really scary team, or if they continue to regress, they're going to be garbage. Detroit has a pretty solid roster, but that's never mattered in the past. They continue to get beat up on no matter what. So depending on these variables, but just looking at the rosters, the Vikings, I think, might have the worst roster in the NFC North. And I know they they have Cousins, and they have Thielen, and whoop-de-doo. And everyone's super excited about Dalvin Cook. Oh, Dalvin Cook. Behind a terrible offensive line. Oh, Dalvin Cook. Wow. Yeah, we've seen Dalvin. He's been there for years. Hasn't made a difference. We, we, we played him twice. He had one really big run. Like a 70-yard touchdown. Definitely a talented guy. Guess what? We still spanked the Vikings twice. So, I, you know, they, they, they are in for a really big challenge. And I think the best case scenario for the Vikings is they don't get worse. But I don't know how you can lose Everson Griffin and you can lose Linval Joseph and you can lose all three of your starting cornerbacks and not get a lot worse. I don't know how you do that. And you lost your DB coach who built these safeties into what they are. And you've got a bunch of regression candidates, Kirk Cousins, especially now that he lost his, his top guy, Stephon Diggs. Kendricks, massive regression candidate. And how much does it hurt Daniil Hunter to be the only guy along that defensive front with any talent whatsoever? Of course it hurts him. You can just key on key in on him. You don't have to worry about Everson Griffin. You don't have to worry about Linval Joseph. You got nothing else to worry about. And 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 the worst case scenario, you just run away from him. I mean, you want to talk about re- regression? Maybe not in terms of talent, but his stats are probably going to plummet. Anyways, well, you know. We'll see what happens. Week one is certainly not a guarantee for the Packers, but it's it's a game that they need to win. When you just look at what the teams have, the Packers feel more solid. Despite all the media nonsense about the, the volatility and what's going to happen with this and that and the other thing, this is a team that was somewhat volatile last year, talking about the Green Bay Packers, because of so many moving parts and pieces. You, you're trying to merge two very different offensive styles from what they knew to what they know. Matt LaFleur's trying to slowly open up this playbook that guys that don't understand stuff. You've got a bunch of newer type of, of guys that don't know much. Jay Sternberger, offensive line, hasn't quite figured this thing out yet. They've talked about how much more complex this, you know, the, the scheme is and the things that they have to do. They're going into their second year. But, I mean, just just look at and, and the you know, the Packers aren't perfect. But it's just Zadarius Smith, Kenny Clark, Preston Smith, Going up against this just riffraff offensive line, you know, we lost Tremont, but we still have Kevin King and Jair Alexander. These are starting cornerbacks in the NFL. Not that it's going to be easy. Adam Thielen and, and Justin Jefferson, you know, we'll see how it goes, but this is certainly not the hardest challenge we're going to face all year. This is not the hardest challenge they've faced last year. Went up against much better guys than this. You know, the linebackers, obviously, you know, I don't feel very good about it. Hopefully Kirksey can kind of regain some of that, that fire that he's had in the past. But Savage and Amos, they're good. They're good safeties. This is this is a this is a professional football team. It's it's very good players. You got some elite, some very good, some competent, and a couple not great players. The stuff we're talking about with the Vikings, this is this is not fieldable. This is this is embarrassment territory. I mean, my goodness, you look at these guys up for Devontae Adams up against Holton Hill. Ugh. You've got Alan Lazard against Gladney. 
Aquinemius against Mike Hughes. I'm, I'm kind of ad-libbing here in terms of what might happen. This offensive line against the defensive line. Oh, my goodness. Do you understand what's going to happen to you? Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. Everybody's making fun of A.J. Dillon. Wait until you see what A.J. Dillon does to this defensive line. Jaleel Johnson, Jalen Holmes, Hercules Mata'afa, Shamar Stephan, Armin Watts. Ugh. David Moa, who you just drafted. Excuse me, I don't think even, I think he's undrafted. Just putrid. Putrid. That's their defensive line I was I was rattling off. What in the world are they going to do up against Elton Jenkins and Corey Lindsley and Billy Turner? What are they going to do? Best case scenario, again, is that you got Eric Hendricks going off. But let me remind you, for, for those that are maybe new, I got to really get going here, but Eric Hendricks, when I talk about massive regression, we're talking about regression to the mean, right? Going back to what you normally are. This past year, he was graded as the second-best linebacker. This is via PFF. Overall defensive grade was a 90.1. Run defense grade, 82.9. Coverage grade, 88.4. Absolutely elite. 2018, 64.1. 2017, 66.9. 2016, 68.9. 2015, 59.6. So for three years straight, we'll, we'll, we'll remove the rookie year. 68, 66, 64, and then 90. Which of these doesn't belong? Uh, you, well, maybe he just finally broke out. Yeah, I guess maybe. But I kind of talked about this with the Chicago Bears after 2018. You've got, you know, guys that are good, not great, that suddenly become elite. What happens? I think they're all going to regress. And guess what? Every single one of them did. Even Khalil regressed a little bit, and I didn't even predict that because he's just always solid. The odds of Eric Hendricks repeating what he did are close to zero. And Anthony Barr, I mean, since 2019 going backwards, 56, 70, 63, 50, 90, which, oh, look, he had a 90 overall year too. And this is why people like Anthony Barr, because he's, as a rookie, he was 70.4. He had a good year. He was graded as the 19th best linebacker as a rookie. 2015, he explodes, second best linebacker in all of football. Oh, he's a freak. And then 50.6, 76th out of 80, 42nd out of 85, 28th out of 91. This past year, 57th he ranked out of 91 linebacker. He's not even average. He's had one good year in the last four. And although I don't really expect much regression from the safeties because Anthony Harris has pretty pretty well established himself as a very, very good safety. Just an absolute, I mean, what a freaky thing for an undrafted guy in 2015 to be this good. And then Harrison Smith, obviously there's a chance because he's 32 years old, but um, he doesn't really show any signs of slowing down. The only real thing is he kind of alternates every year. If you look at 2016, 75, then 92, then 79, then 88. If he follows that trend, he'll he'll have a little bit of a down year this year, and then hopefully retire and come you know leave forever. Anyways, I I gotta go. It's been a lot of fun talking about the Vikings. Uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, they're always they're always a tough team. I just the point is, it's almost the opposite of the Detroit Lions. I look at the Lions and I say, I don't know how you can be bad, but there's a good chance you're going to be bad. I'm looking at the Vikings saying, I I know there's a good chance you're going to find a way to be good because you're just you're a tough team to play. But I don't know how you do it with this team. I don't know how you do it with this team. So that's what it is. And week one, by the way, is uh, Sunday, September 13th. Today is August 12th. So we're talking about one month. We are a month and a day away from uh, kickoff against the Minnesota Vikings. So get excited. Anyways, you folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.